Welcome to the DHG podcast series with a focus on life beyond numbers with topics about people, careers and flexibility. And now, here's your host, our Director of Corporate Communications and All Things Fun, Alice Gray Harrison. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of our DHG podcast series. I'm Alice Gray Harrison, your host, and I love this venue because we get to hear about the things that matter the most to us flexibility, careers, and of course, stories about our people. Today, as we celebrate World Autism Day, I'm honored to have two special guests, two people who I consider part of our DHG heroes. With me, Cheryl Greer and Debbie Anderson, who are founding members of our common interest group, Parents of Atypical Children, which is actually a chapter within our professional parent network. Now, that was a huge mouthful. Cheryl is a tax leader in our talent alignment group and the mother of two boys, ages 11 and 8. Her 8-year-old was diagnosed with autism when he was 5 years old. And Debbie is a manager in state and local tax group and is the mother of two boys, ages 8 and 5, who both were diagnosed with autism. And I'm just going to put out a disclaimer for us today. All three of us lucky ladies have our children home with us as there's virtual learning because of the storms passing through the South. So at any given moment, we might get to hear from one of our precious children. Okay, ladies. So before we dive into the questions about parents of atypical children, would you both be comfortable sharing a little background about your experience as parents of a child or children with autism? I know you both have different but equally inspiring stories, and I'd love to learn a little bit more. I'm super excited to to be here learning with y'all today. Debbie, if you'll start, and then Cheryl can go after you. Sure. I'd love to. Thanks, Ellis Gray, for the introduction. So as Ellis Gray stated, my name is Debbie Anderson, and I am the mom of two wonderful and extremely fun little boys. Carlo is eight years old, and Gus is five years old. They're both diagnosed with autism very young. Carlo was two, although we were pretty sure at one, so he did start some services back then. And then my younger son, Gus, was one when he was diagnosed. So both boys have received lots of therapies over the years, speech, occupational therapy, physical therapy, and tons of ABA therapy, which stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. They both work super hard every day, and I am abundantly proud of their progress, but they still have several challenges that will likely impact them throughout the course of their lives. Their challenges are somewhat different, and it's been interesting to just see what comes fairly easy to one of them may be very difficult for the other. So Carlo struggles more with things like emotional regulation, control issues, hyperactivity, fine motor, some conversational skills, whereas Gus's main struggles are more around focus and attention, balance, coordination, gross motor skills, and he also has some pretty significant sensory issues as well. So in addition to school and services that they receive during school, they have therapies lined up throughout the day, every day at home, and sometimes in clinics pre-COVID. So we are fortunate enough to have my amazing mother-in-law here every day who facilitates these therapy sessions for the boys. And with that, I will turn it over to Cheryl for her background. 
Yes, thank you, Debbie. And thank you, Alice Gray, for that introduction. We're so excited to be here today and share our stories. So my story is similar but different. So I do have two little boys as well. Malcolm is 11 and he is not autistic. He's ADHD. And my younger son, Andrew, who's eight years old, is autistic. So Andrew was initially diagnosed with a developmental delay as a toddler when he missed some speech milestones. He was talking, but we noticed he was behind his peers on word count and putting together simple sentences, which was appropriate for his age at the time. So he did receive some speech therapy and preschool services through our local public schools. And when he was four, we were having those transition meetings about moving to kindergarten. And we noticed that he was behind his peers on being able to focus and complete appropriate level schoolwork. So just being able to sit in the chair, for even a span of five minutes to complete a worksheet. I mean, he really struggled with, he was bouncing all over the classroom. So his teacher actually alluded to us that there may be something more going on. Unfortunately, teachers are not allowed to say things like, I think he may have autism. So she was very careful in her wording, but it kind of got us thinking and down this path because we'd been through the developmental delay And, you know, kind of thought if there was something more going on, you know, somebody would recommend testing or somebody would recommend more. And what we found is, no, they won't, because in some cases they can't, unfortunately. So we did meet with our pediatrician to express our specific concerns and ask for further testing. And so he performed a quick evaluation and agreed with us that more should be looked at. So I wanted to point that out because we thought our pediatrician would have recommended it when talking to us about the developmental delay or even during regular visits. You know, we kind of have that. My doctor will let me know if anything more needs to be looked at. And if they have time to do that, they certainly will. But unfortunately, you know, our medical visits are very quick and he just did not have the time to kind of notice. And we really had to advocate for it and kind of push for it. And when we did, he was very accommodating. But I I say that to let other parents know, if you do think something's off with your child and and you're kind of going with a, well, you know, my pediatrician asked me this questionnaire because we had filled out the autism questionnaire every single time. And what's interesting about our case is my son has several things that Debbie mentioned, but he also does not have some of the classic symptoms or some of the more common symptoms as well. For example, he will give eye contact. That's something you hear a lot. And he could talk, but his speech was not appropriate for his level. So he could, you know, say certain things, but maybe not put together sentences. He didn't have some of the traditional physical mannerisms that we see either. So he was kind of an interesting case, even for our pediatrician and our therapist. But, you know, we ended up on the right path, but we actually had to push to make that happen. And Just like Debbie, we are in speech therapy, occupational therapy. We are in ABA therapy outside of school. So I am very fortunate that my husband actually left his career and stays at home to help us manage all of those and all of those therapies. And honestly, I don't know what we would do if he hadn't. I cannot even imagine managing. I I have another friend who has a child the same age as my child and very similar although he never was really diagnosed with anything, but I know how much she ended up going part-time and just trying to manage all the therapies, really. So let's talk about PAC for a minute. What are the plans for PAC for the rest of the year? I just think it's so amazing that you guys have 
put together this resource for our people. Cheryl, this question's for you. Absolutely. And I'm really excited about this because we've got a lot of fun stuff planned. So in March, we did have a webcast with DHG Wealth Advisors on ABLE accounts, which are tax advantage savings accounts for disability expenses. We will be rebroadcasting that this month for anyone who wasn't able to join us live. And we also have it recorded on our team's channel for on-demand listening. This month, we're also providing links to various autism awareness virtual walks on our team's channel, and we're asking our families to snap a picture of them walking and share it. We're working on gathering information on sensory-friendly activities for families and making that available in the files section of our team's channel, kind of a resource center, if you will. Our goal will be for our members to share their ideas and resources they are aware of in their town with the group. And I've already learned of some cool things that I can do in my town with my kids when things open up more. So I'm really excited about this one. We are planning to have quarterly calls and kind of information sessions on various topics that our members want to hear about. And we've asked them to tell us what they want to hear about on our team's chat. We're also working with Kevin Price to plan some content in October for National Disability Awareness Month. And lastly, when things open up a bit more and we're in a good spot with vaccines, we hope to have some in-person gatherings with our families in our DHG locations. So lots of exciting stuff going on. That is amazing. Okay, so now that we've heard about all the exciting things that are happening, I realize I probably should take a step back Debbie, can you tell me why and how this group got started? Like, how did y'all figure out that you had this common interest? Through three different conversations that I had with Cheryl and Matt Brown and Jeremy Ness. And I think some of them had already connected with each other as well. So we all just kind of discovered that we had this commonality as parents of children with special needs, just on kind of a casual conversational basis. So Four of us hopped on a call one day a couple of months ago, and the rest is history. We just got it rolling immediately. And the reason for why the group started is really the PAC group is meant to be a supportive community where parents of children with all types of special needs can just come together during the workday, network, get guidance, discuss therapies, school challenges, IEPs, anything really and just learn about different opportunities. As, as Cheryl mentioned, we're having um, meetings regarding financial planning for kids with special needs, all the way to posting sensory-friendly activities in the community, anything really that, that we you know would be valuable to another member. So the group is really here for any purpose that parents of special needs children need. And to me, the, the most valuable part of this whole autism journey has been connecting with other parents who quote, speak the same language as us. And I feel like that's really refreshing when you when you meet those other parents. You hear the statistics all the time. One in 54 children have an autism diagnosis. And that number is even higher for boys. It's one in 34. So it yeah. is pretty common. But I used to just think, well, if it's so common, why don't I know anybody in my shoes? I mean, I've heard of here and there, you know, somebody has a child with autism, but I just didn't didn't know anybody. And so it could all feel really isolating at times, but making those connections is just so key in coping with, with the additional challenges that, that special needs parents are faced with. So 
I know when my first son was diagnosed, I still remember the feeling so clearly and I didn't know where to turn. So if nothing else, I just hope that PAC can be that resource for any DHG parent who is faced with that, their child's diagnosis for the first time. That's terrific. What a great resource for everyone. Cheryl, I'm going to come back to you. You mentioned something that triggered a question in my head. You mentioned that, you know, you had to really advocate and push for testing when your son was diagnosed and it was very isolating. How do you hope this being able to have a group like this will help other parents on their journey with atypical children? Absolutely. So I honestly, just like Debbie, I really wish I had this group to turn to when we were going through our journey. There are so many questions and unknowns. And at times it can feel like you're walking through a dark forest trying to find your way. And to Debbie's point about speaking the same language, sometimes it feels like it's a completely different language with all these different therapies and different milestones and all of that. So just having someone to bounce ideas off of or just say, hey, I'm noticing something about my child. Do you think I should get tested or anything like that? I would have really appreciated a group like that. Having other parents to talk to and share their journey is just so helpful in navigating that process and feeling less isolated. You know, your family and friends, they want to help you, but if they haven't been through something like this, then there's only so much support they can provide. And so this chapter is a safe place to exchange ideas, struggles, and also celebrate successes for those with an atypical child or family member. So I will say, as Debbie mentioned, this started with a group of parents. We kind of got together and figured out each one of us had a child, special needs child, but this is becoming something bigger. You know, we've discussed it with Kevin Price and we recently had someone join our chapter who has a sister with special needs that she has guardianship over. So we were really excited to see that. And I just wanted to put out there that this is definitely for parents, but this is also for anyone who has an atypical person in their family and would like some additional support from others in that area or any DHG members that want to learn more about what our families with atypical members face as well. We welcome all membership in the PAC chapter. I wish you could see my face because I'm just nodding, nodding, nodding as you're talking (laughs) about, you know, just being able to connect with someone. I myself don't have an atypical child, but I do have an adopted child. And so I know what it felt like when we started the adoption journey and just, it's just different. And so I can imagine that if I had resources like that, it would have been really helpful to guide me and help me understand resources and just be an empathetic ear. So I just applaud the really, really applaud the work you're doing. And I encourage people at DHG to get involved, to learn more, because, you know, as we understand other people, it makes us all stronger and more inclusive as a firm. So as we spread awareness for autism on World Autism Day, Debbie, can you share with me one myth? I know there are tons of them, but one myth that you'd love to dispel. Is there one thing that you wish everybody knew about raising a child with autism? Sure. Well, one myth that I always say I wish people understood is just that that not every person with autism has an area where they're considered to be a genius. And the reason I bring this up is that I've had several people over the years ask me, like, what is your child's superpower? What are they, you know, what are they genius in? What are, what kind of savant capabilities? And sometimes I just think people see stories they read or see on TV, like 
There's one story with a man who flew over Rome in an airplane and then he drew the entire city from memory or the, the Good Doctor, the show that's on TV right now, portrays this doctor as having these savant skills and he can visualize all of the body's organs in a second and come up with these genius ideas that nobody else on the show can think of and they can't see it the way that he does. And that does exist in this world, but I think these kinds of portrayals kind of give way to a misconception about autism. Don't quote me. I think the statistic is about 10% of people with autism have savant capabilities. So it does exist, but it is a, it's a pretty small percentage. And then the truth is that really the opposite is not always true either. So not all people with autism have a low IQ. I know you said one myth, but it's kind of two myths and one. <laughs> and so I think about one third of people with autism do have a diagnosis of an intellectual disability as well. So this is why we say autism spectrum disorder. It's a vast spectrum and our children fall on different places on the spectrum, really depending on what it is that, that we're talking about. And I know you asked about what I wish everybody knew probably just what goes on in our minds constantly. I mean, I feel like I can probably speak for most parents when I say that we worry all the time. We worry that what we're doing isn't enough or that we're parenting wrong or if our children have a disability because of something we did. And mm -hmm. I think that's probably the case for a lot of parents of, of kids with all types of special needs and disabilities. We worry about the near term, the long term, you know, will they make friends at school? Will they be accepted? Will they be bullied in the long term? Will they live on their own? Will they get married or have meaningful friendships, drive a car, have a career? These things are just constantly in the back of our minds because we don't have a crystal ball to tell us what their future holds. And so, again, this is why I think this group is so important we are all here to support each other and we want to embrace these challenges and our fears together and be able to lean on each other for support and guidance when we need it the most. Bravo. Again, I wish you could see my face because I'm smiling <laughs> and clapping. I applaud both of you and everyone who has been instrumental in starting this group to help each other and also to help educate the firm. You two both are truly DHG heroes. So thank you very much. And thank, thank you, Alice. Yeah, and thank y'all for joining me. And this one goes out to all our listeners. Thank you for listening to Life at DHG, our premier podcast series. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll tell your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our DHG blog for more great stories about our life beyond numbers. Join us next time for Life at DHG.